This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. Star Trek came back. It was beautiful, and it continues to boldly go. The inaugural season of Star Trek Discovery is now history. There were tender moments, funny moments, and controversial moments. The season ended with an amazing and beautiful cliffhanger, and now we have to wait to see what is coming down the pike in Season 2 for the crew of the good old NCC 1031. My name is Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to the season one wrap-up of Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. It has been an honor and a privilege to sit here every week with you to talk about the latest Star Trek saga, and this week is no different as we take a look back at the entire season and everything that took place. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and thank you so much for downloading or streaming or however you're tuning in, because we truly appreciate it. And hey, before we get started, as this week's episode of Discovering Trek is also going to be available over at Trek Geeks, please be aware that this week's discussion will contain spoilers about the entire first season of Star Trek Discovery. As always, this is the premier podcast to get the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the entire season of Star Trek Discovery, from the introduction to new characters to a long and bloody war to the introduction of a familiar and terrifying mirror universe, DSC showed us a side of Starfleet that not everyone was used to seeing, and we have loved dissecting every single episode. And as always, when I say we, well, it's my favorite part of the show when I get to welcome my best bud. I cannot think of anyone with whom I could have shared this great first season with, and I will always be very thankful to him for everything that he has done for discovering Trek. He is my very special friend, my brother in Trek, and my amazing number one. He is Bill Smith. Bill, season one wrap-up, here we go, man. Here we go. You know, you said we're going to be talking about everything that happened in season one. We are going to be here an awfully long time, so I'm buckled in and I'm ready. Well, I'm glad you're ready because we do have a lot to talk about. We may leave a few things off the table and that's okay, but we do have an amazing guest with us to talk about this season of Star Trek Discovery, and I think you have the details right now, buddy. I absolutely do. Dan, he's the co-host of Mission Log Live, as well as Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, the latter of which is about to embark on seven fun-filled seasons of Star Trek Deep Space Nine as what we think is the gold standard in Star Trek podcasts. He's also been hosting his daily podcast, Mac OS Ken, Dan, since, if you can believe this, 2006. Wow. He's a great friend of ours and also of both our podcasts, and we are truly excited that he's joining us today. He's the lovely and talented Ken Ray, and Ken, welcome to Discovering Trek, sir. Golly. I don't think I can live up to that. (laughs) Thanks. I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, we're we're really thrilled to have you here, man. I, of course, for those who listen to Trek Geeks, we had you on for our Christmas Spectacular a couple of years ago. We had a great time with that. And now that Discovering Trek has wrapped up that first season, we thought, you know what? Let's get the better half of Mission Log on the show and see what happens. <laughs> Don't do that because I'll have, I'll, I'll have to agree with you. And, you know, because it's uh, your house and I don't want to be rude, but I do have to go back to my yes. house at some point and, you know... <laughs> 
that's, that's true. We love both you guys to death, and and we really want to thank you uh, for coming on uh, for this special episode of Discovering Trek. Uh, if anyone would like to send us their thoughts on season one, or maybe just how much they love Ken and Mission Log, I think, Bill, you have some info on how they can do that, don't you? Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Absolutely, Dan. Of course, hailing frequencies are open and we're transmitting friendship messages in all languages and on all frequencies. You can discover us. Hey, see what I did there on Twitter at Discovering Trek. And of course, on Facebook, we can be found at Facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. In either place, you can join in on the discussion, leave us comments, questions, suggestions, and hopefully some of those will keep us occupied during the hiatus between seasons. Plus, don't forget, you can also send us a voicemail by going to trekgeeks.com and clicking on the giant blue button that's on the right-hand side of the website. Although, please do remember that any comments you may leave us could be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Thank you, Bill. So, guys, as we've said a couple of times already, season one is in the books. And Ken, listening to you and John Champion over on Mission Log Live, I know that at least before the finale, you had some interesting thoughts on what you were concerned about with the path that Discovery was taking. Now, I purposely have not listened to your discussion about episode 15 or the recap of the season. So can you tell us and our listeners what those concerns were and did they change at all based on the finale? Well, I mean, I have a, uh, I had a few different concerns all the way through. Let me preface all of this by saying I really enjoyed watching Discovery. I, I mean, there was a lot that I really liked about Discovery, but you're not going to think so probably halfway through this because the things I tend to think about are, are the things that were sort of problematic to me. Um, what were some of my concerns? Uh, starting off, I'm not a huge fan of the TVMA, honestly. I wish that it hadn't been for mature audiences. I wish it had been, it doesn't have to be family friendly. It doesn't have to be, you know, uh, for kids or, or rated G or anything like that, but I feel like there were some things they did to sort of justify putting it behind a paywall, like um, the brief nudity that we got off the Klingon or the F word that we got out of Tilly or the S word that we got out of Tilly. You know, it's always the cute ones, right? It's always the innocent seeming ones. She's actually the one who cursed the most, I think, which, you know, I started cursing when I was like in the fifth grade. So, I mean, it's not like I'm a prude. It's more like I worry about there might be some people who could maybe benefit from Star Trek messages uh, who would, I mean, and I mean, kids, I mean, younger people who might not get to see them until they're, you know, older because of the TVMA rating. That said, I don't know that there were that many Star Trek messages here either. So, I mean, these were, these were my concerns that we took a very, that we took a very long time. We took a very circuitous route that we didn't know who to root for from one week to the next. And, um, yeah, I mean it's it was it was not it was not the Star Trek that we're used to. I guess would be would be the best way to encapsulate my concerns without just saying everything in the first 2 minutes. It's interesting that you say that because one of the things that I liked about it was the fact that it wasn't the Star Trek that we were used to. I remember when the F bomb got dropped in one of the early episodes and and there was a, a little bit of a firestorm on social media about it and and the way I looked at it is yeah, it's not it's not Kirk and Spock and and Picard and Riker and it's not on regular television so we're not going to get that language, but at the same time in what I'm seeing in today's world, it's whether fortunately or unfortunately, it's kind of the dialogue that's that's used 
is kind of the norm. So to, I don't necessarily think it's the best way to talk, but at the same time, it made it feel more real to me, I guess is the best way to describe it. I totally see what you're saying, especially with the younger audiences and how um, parents want to raise their kids and, and what's, what's right and what's not right to say and, and to listen to. But it's one of the things that I actually found, I don't know if refreshing is the right word, but I, I thought it was, it was more real. Uh, Bill, what do you think? I, I thought it was a little more real than, than say, you know, data dropping something in, in generations. But I, I absolutely, I can totally understand Kent's point. I, um, I, I do think there was a little bit of time where it kind of took me out of it a little bit because I, I think that, you know, it's with Star Trek, we're used to humanity probably being past that for want of a better word. Although I, I think it worked in context of the scene. I can, I can understand on some level what Ken is saying. And Ken, I, I, I can agree with it in that sense for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, here's, I mean, here's the thing that I would ask though. I mean, because a lot of people have said that they're like, well, it's more like the times, right? TOS, <laughs> let that be your last battlefield. Think about what was going on in those times. We didn't talk like the times that we lived in at that point. We talked like the times that we wanted to live in. I'm thinking about the, uh, I can't remember the name of the episode, but uh, there's an episode in TNG, uh, the kid who played um, uh, Kirk's son in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, and Star Trek III um, was also in an episode of TNG, and he was in a, he was, it was a drug planet. Yeah. Like the population was was addicted to a drug that was being um, brought in by another planet. And it was a really, it wasn't symbiosis, I don't think, but it was. It, it was. Okay. Symbiosis. So, I mean, that was honestly, and, and so when that show was on, what we were getting was an earful of just say no, right? We weren't getting anything about feeling compassion or caring for anybody who was addicted to drugs. What we were getting was just say no. Users are losers and losers are users, so don't do drugs. That was actually a, a jingle that was said, right? And Star Trek, yes. Star Trek comes in and says, okay, yes, drugs are bad, but can we talk about can we talk about maybe the whys? Can we talk about maybe the what's going on? We weren't we weren't married to how we talk today. We were married to how we want to talk going forward. And that's not about that's not just about the f bomb. That's about honestly. That's that's part of my thinking around the whole of uh, around the whole of discovery. I think that I I absolutely get where you're coming from. I um when I heard Tilly's first f bomb. For me at the time, I kind of rationalized it sort of like sitting on the edge of forever, you know, Kirk and Spock and McCoy come back to the Guardian and Kirk's standing there with the landing party and he's like, let's get the hell out of here. And at the time, that was that was huge. Right. You know, especially in the 60s, you didn't say hell on television. So at the time, I equated it to that. But as time has gone on, I've thought about it more. I'm like, eh. and and I've kind of come around to where you are on this one. Yeah, I, I can I can agree with you guys as well on, on some level. What I liked about the F1 moment, and I do know that I remember listening and it really took John out of the scene, if I remember correctly, and listening to your mission log live. But um, for me, it it showed me Tilly's excitement for what was going on. And it was just like a, she's a young cadet inexperienced and being in the quote unquote adult world in Starfleet. And it just popped out and and you could see the reaction on her face as soon as she said it. And then of course we had Stamets repeat it because he was, I think he was kind of uh, uh, thought it was kind of funny, but I, I see where you're coming from. I, I, I said it a minute ago, I think it might be unfortunate that in, in today that seems to be the norm. I mean, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to bash the younger generation or anything like that, but it seems like every other word is that nowadays. And so I thought that 
they they brought it into a point to you know they're like you said ken they're behind a paywall so they yeah. can get away with these kind of things um yeah. so I, t- I totally can understand where you guys are coming from let um, me if i could really can, well if i could sure. really quickly i just want to make sure i am not trying to talk anybody into any different viewpoint I'm really not. I mean, and I always worry about that. I worried about it on Mission Log Live as well. I'm not trying to get anybody to uh, to come to where I am on this show. And that's why I will stop periodically and go, but I liked it. Because <laughs> mm. <laughs> I did. I, I enjoyed Discovery for the most part. But I mean, it, the concerns I have are the concerns I have. So, so having made that clarification again. One of the things that we like to say uh, here on Discovering Trek is we take in a mantra from our friend Jim Morehouse over on uh, Trek Ranks and no wrong answers. Everybody can have their own opinion mm-hmm. on what they like and what they don't like about anything Star Trek, and it's not wrong. And unfortunately, what we see a lot in today's world is if someone doesn't agree with you, well, you're wrong. That doesn't happen here. So we like the opinions. I think it's great. Cool, cool, cool. So let's hear more things that you hated. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> what about, let's get into the Klingons, because that's always been a topic of discussion um, ever since we first saw some glimpses of what could have been Klingons behind the scenes. What did mm-hmm. you think about the look, and what did you think about the storyline for them? Um. <laughs> initially when we saw the Klingons, I was not happy about the idea that we were going to have yet another kind of Klingon because I mean, the JJ Abrams Klingons uh, were three, I think. And I believe what I said when we saw the very first picture is why do we need a fourth Klingon? Then when I found out well, we're actually going to get 24 more Klingons. Okay. I'm actually, I like that honestly a little bit more because instead of them all being just the same, you know, from one side of Kronos to the other in TNG, um, Klingons are the same, right? I mean, you might find like the ones who were, you know, sitting and waiting for Kalos to return or something like that. But for the most part, a Klingon on one side of the planet was the same as a Klingon on the other. And to find out that there are actually real differences in the 24 houses was kind of an interesting thing to, uh, was an interesting thing to see, both physical differences and, of course, um, well, philosophical seems like a weird word to say for Klingons, but philosophical differences as well. Bill, I know that we've had a lot of discussions about that side of the uh, of the storyline for Discovery. Um, do you agree or disagree with Ken on on that on that thread? I I have a, a varied reaction to the Klingons. I mean, I'm I'm one of those people who was not a huge fan of the the TNG era Klingons because they all you know smacked heads and drank blood wine and just cared about battle when. Yeah, somebody had to figure out how to create warp drive in the Klingon Empire, you know. <laughs> somebody had to figure out how to fix the ships. And we got to STLV last year. You know, Dan, you probably remember this. We're sitting there on the first day, listening to the discovery panels. And they said, what, we're going to tell you why the Klingons look different. And we watched all season long, hoping why they were going to tell us why the Klingons look different. Because they said there'd be a you know, it'd be part of the story. And so we sat there and they didn't get to it in the first half. We're like, okay, well, maybe they'll tell us in the back half, you know. And, uh, and we watched the remaining six episodes. We're like, uh, okay. So the Klingons look different and that's fine. You know, like I don't mind if they look different because ultimately the Klingons have always sort of looked different, even though well, they haven't looked the same, even among the films. But, um, I, since they kind of told us there was going to be a reason, I kind of hope they'd tell us the reason. And that's, if they hadn't sent a thing, I really wouldn't have cared. But now I kind of, I kind of want to know. <laughs> hmm. Are you wanting to know, like, are you wanting to know, 
why they look different or you're wanting to know how they all end up looking the same? Uh, maybe a little column A, a little column B, now that you mention it. I, um, I, I'm okay with however they look. I actually, I, I thought they looked pretty badass on Discovery. I kind of dig the look um, because as I've said on Trek Geeks many times, I always thought the TNG Klingons kind of look like a, you know, a Swedish heavy metal cover band on some level. <laughs> Um, with the hair and the stuff and, and more stuff. And um, I, I thought they looked fearsome in this. I thought they were edged up a notch from Neville Page's designs for the JJ movies. So I, I kind of dug it. But, you know, when they said back in Vegas that, well, yeah, we're going to tell you what the reason is. I figured, okay, well, I can't wait to hear this because I hope it's creative. I love the look. I want to know, you know how they got from A to B and then over to C. And, and they didn't. So, and that's fine. I just, I was kind of wishing they'd pick it back up. I, the Klingons were one of the, the, the storyline about the Klingons was one that I think was the, I don't want to say least favorite because they were all great, but it's one that I wasn't the most excited about week to week when they decided to start talking about it. And you're right, Bill, we were, we were looking for a long time as to what that answer was going to be. And it, it kind of fell off and I kind of, I kind of wonder if the writers, you know, kind of box themselves into a corner a little bit. Um, maybe we'll see it in season two or later. Maybe we won't, not really sure, but um, Ken, one of the things I wanted to ask you specifically in regards to how the season ended was you had some concerns about the darkness um, of, of discovery in terms of the way that, that Star Trek is until discovery came along and that, that hope for the future and so forth. Did any of that change for you after the finale, this season and how it ended and how they chose to not go down that dark path? No. Okay. <laughs> no, because I knew it was gonna end. I, I knew it was gonna end fine. I mean, we all knew it was gonna end fine. The question is, why take fifteen episodes to get there? Star Trek. I mean, TNG at least in TOS and the animated series. I mean, all like tried to tell a Star Trek message in every episode. So twenty six times a year. Mm-hmm. Unless it was a two-part episode, they were trying to give you a message of enlightenment or at least, you know, something to think about. And instead, what we got here was 15 episodes of, well, it's dark. Oh, it's dark. Okay, it's darker now. Okay, it's it's still dark, <laughs> right? Okay, well, now we're off for three months and then <laughs> or a month and a half, excuse me. And then you come back and like, whoa, now it's dark. I thought it was dark before, didn't you? Yeah, it turns out. So, I mean, it's not like we didn't know that she wasn't going to give a rousing speech at the end. It's not like we didn't know that it, that it was going to end with us being the best that we could be. But it used to be, sorry, not to sound like an old man, other Star Trek stories have been us being the best we can be, not us finding our way to eventually being the best that we can be. And even then, I mean, there's still, I don't watch Walking Dead, one of the reasons I don't watch The Walking Dead is because I understand that something really bad has happened and now we're just following a group of people who are trying to survive. And that's pretty much what we did for Star- uh, for Discovery as well. And in the end, it had to be this lone individual, oddly enough, from The Walking Dead, it had to be this lone individual to stand up and go, hey, wait a second, this isn't who we are. Well, then how did we get to be who we are? I mean, if she can stand there and say to the people who made us who we are, you're not being who we are, then uh, it just, no, it didn't do it for me, unfortunately. I knew there was going to be a rousing speech, and the rousing speech was fine. It was good, but I no, the ends don't justify the means in this situation for me. 
you know, I never really thought of the comparison between the two shows. And, and I got to say, when I'm sitting here listening to you, mm-hmm. you're right. Um, one of the things I liked about discovery was that it was that season long arc, but I totally get what you're saying about, about it being every week. It was that same message of darkness, but to the comparison with walking dead and, <laughs> and then how the character was from walking dead, you sir have a gold star. That was pretty good. Oh, thank you. I'm no Barry <laughs> DeFord, but I'll do an pitch. <laughs> Nobody is. I know. No, he's, he's, he's original. Don't ask me about history because I can tell you a little bit about Star Trek and then we're done. Actually, I can also tell you a little bit about the uh, uh, the Queen of England from 450 years ago. But I'm sure Barry could outclass me on that too. We'll have to start up our Queen of England podcast at some point. Um, <laughs> let's let's uh, let's move into uh, talking about Ken. What plot threads? Did you see in season one, I mean, we talked a minute ago about the Klingon look. Were there any plot threads that you saw that did not get answered that you'd like to see picked up in season two? Not not really. I mean, they actually did a good job of wrapping everything up, I thought. I know you guys thought that it maybe happened a little quickly in that last episode. But at the very least, I mean, there was no, unless there's something I'm forgetting right now, there was no plot hole that I'm like, well, hang on a second. What about that thing? I mean, unless you want to count the mycelial network, but I assume, I, I hope anyway, they're going to explain more about why we don't have that in the future. If the reason we don't have that in the Star Trek that we know is because, well, they just never figured out how to do it safely, then that'll be kind of disappointing. I assume that that's going to come back at some point, but that's not really like a dangling thread. It's just more like, I hope they answer that to the satisfaction of the of the the canon people and the purest people who want to know why they don't have that at this point. Um, so no, not I mean there was nothing really there was nothing really left dangling. I wouldn't mind seeing the tardigrade again, <laughs> but but I think yeah I think it's it's probably done. You know I don't think we need to see it again, but it wouldn't bother me. Bill, what about you? For me, uh, one of the things that I'd like to see get an answer to, and we kind of may have received an answer because it was Mira Lorca, but I want to know how a Gorn skeleton was in his lab and how a dissected Tribble was in his lab and how a Cardassian Vole was in his lab when we don't, at least I don't believe, we had any contact with any of those races um, during the discovery time. But that's just my thing. What do you think? What do you want to see picked up? Um, I, I wouldn't mind knowing that because, you know, Lorca apparently got here through through transporter magic, which is fine. Um, but I, I keep going back to the black badges. OK, so last week, we, you know, uh, Trek Corps, I think it was, or, or, or even Trek News or one of the sites had, had photos of shiny new QMX badges. And one of them was the quote unquote black badge from Star Trek Discovery. It's all right. We've seen this in episode three. We and we haven't seen it since. And they called it out specifically. Right. So I'm I'm hoping that they tell us what it's about because now they're starting to sell the things. Hmm. Um, but <laughs> but after we, with that first mention in Contacts is for Kings, ain't seen it since. Um, and, and I am curious because it's supposed to be a science vessel. And then these guys, are they the equivalent of Mako's? You know, or are they what the Mako's became? Are they some other nefarious purpose? Um, were they, you know, clued in on what Lorca had going on to some extent? I don't know. So that's kind of where I'm at with that. 
Yeah, the black badges is, you know, I think the speculation at first that we really were hanging on and I really wanted to see. And then we had guests like Terry who really didn't want to see it was whether Section 31 would somehow have some kind of uh, part in this whole discovery season. And that's what I thought the black badges were kind of signifying. You know, the registry was 1031, Section 31. Doesn't look like that's the case. So I struck out on that one. But I like the idea of finding out what those black badges represented. I guess we'll have to wait and find out. You know, it's one of those things where, I mean, to hear you say that QMX is selling them, I, I mean, part of me, I, I've wanted one since I first saw them on screen. Oh, same here. But, but I want to know what they yeah. are. I want yeah. to know what they are first. <laughs> right. I don't want to buy one and like wear it around and be like, oh, that's the Starfleet Nazis. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> that, I'm, just that took a this, I'm just going to put this here. Yeah. It's selling this cheap if anybody wants it. Oh, uh, now we know how John Gill got involved. You know, Dan, as has been the case all season long, this week's episode, of course, is brought to you by our friends at Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. You know, Fansets has truly so many collectible pin offerings for fandoms, aside from just even Star Trek. I mean, you can get yourself pins from Alien or Harry Potter. I know there's a lot of Harry Potter fans out there, or Justice League, you know, that they've got a variety of pins from that, both based on the movie and their micro crew pins. And then there's there's so many other pins on top of that from the DC universe, and they're adding new ones all the time. So we want everyone to check them out. Firefly, baby. That's what it's all about. <laughs> Firefly. Yes, fansets.com is the address, and you will not be disappointed in their amazing selection of pins. Fansets is pinpoint accuracy. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most human. Every week, we normally break down the episode for our thoughts on what it's taught us about our humanity. But we're going to make that a little bit broader, of course, for our discussion today. So let's take the whole package from the entire first season. And Ken, uh, is there anything from a high-level perspective that this arc has shown you in regards to our humanity? Um, taking it out of what the writers wrote to sort of like what I – well, so we run a weekly poll or we ran a weekly poll every week on um, – uh, mission log live i don't know if we're still going to now that mm, discovery is over because we're still doing mission log live it's just not going to be discovery specific um so i don't know if we're still doing the poll or not <laughs> it's like, maybe i should find out but uh, one of the questions that we asked was um whether Lorco was a good guy or bad guy and this was before we knew for certain um that he was from the mirror universe this was before this was before we even like went over to the mirror universe and and what was funny is um Rod was 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 convinced that that was a stupid question because the answer was obviously going to be that Lorca was a bad guy, and the answers came back uh, positive. Actually, came back that Lorca was a good guy, and he and I were talking about it uh, later, and he was like, "I just can't believe that was the answer." And I was like, "Well, we we want to love our captain," and that's that that's sort of like one of the biggest things that I learned. Everything Lorca was doing told us that he was up to no good. Everything that he was doing told us that he was not somebody to be trusted. And yet the, the answers came back positive because I think, you know, we really, we really do want to love the guy who followed us. I mean, or, or who we're following, same as Kirk, same as, uh, same as Picard, same as, same as Janeway, you know? I mean, we, we want to like them. We want to trust them. 
And that was an interesting thing to sort of learn. Like, even though the writers are telling you, look, this guy, just just back off. <laughs> Don't get attached because you're going to end up uh, you end up in a bad way. Um, as far as the as far as what they actually wrote, I mean, I guess you could argue that we don't really know what we're capable of until we're pressed. Though that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, I wish it hadn't been so dark. Like, um, you know, Burnham said in the last episode that her actions with the Klingons in the first two episodes were a mistake. Um, Saru tried to kill Burnham on Pavo, or was willing to anyway. I don't think he actually tried to. But maybe he would have if, you know, Tyler hadn't shown up. Uh, Starfleet ordered the genocide of the Klingons. Not considered it, but actually yeah. ordered it, um, which may all be sensible things for the characters. But I mean, this again, it sort of goes back to the question that we were talking about earlier of like, well, you know, it shows it shows what you might do in a given situation. Man, I mean, we just kept you know, kept getting darker and darker and darker while we were examining that. But I mean, that's, you know, but I liked it. And also it's an interesting, <laughs> it's an interesting thing to consider. What about you guys? Bill, why don't you go ahead and take that? Before you start, though, Bill, you said something, Ken, that, that I'm going to get into in a minute. And it's the whole ordering of the genocide of the Klingon homeworld. Mm-hmm. As much as people may have expected that, it really still was a shock to me when it happened on screen. Um, I was like, wow, is, is that is that where we're going now? And and it's so relatable to today's world. So I... I, I really appreciate what you said about it. Um, well, you know, it's one of those things that you like. You wish you didn't have to hear, but we heard it. There's a thing that keeps coming up. So you mentioned earlier the, my daily podcast. It is uh, dedicated to uh, Apple News and news related to Apple News, which means a couple of years ago, I was talking a lot about the FBI and their desire to break into our phones or have a backdoor built into our phones. And they don't want to call it a backdoor, but that's what they said. And the one thing that I kept coming back to was – we demand a lot from our leaders. We want our ideas, we want our ideals, and we want to be kept safe. And 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 I don't know if it's because keeping people safe is an easier, not an easier thing, but it's sort of an easier thing to get your head around. I mean, then it's like, okay, well, okay, so we want your privacy. I understand that, but we also want to keep you safe. So listen, privacy is going to have to take a backseat. I mean, that's sort of what happened with the Federation as well, right? Obviously, you don't want the Federation to be destroyed. Obviously, you don't want the Earth to be destroyed. But at the same time, you don't want a Federation that doesn't try to find a better answer once they realize, oh, well, we could just like wipe them all out. We just kill them all. I mean, we could seriously just destroy every single one of them and then it'll be fine. I think the question that I asked on Mission Log Live was, well, then who are we at that point? I mean, yeah, we're alive, but are we who we are before we did that? So, right. I mean, we, I mean, the thing is, I'm not completely unsympathetic to them making that decision because anybody who's left is going to be like, wow, Federation was a bust. They couldn't even keep us safe. At the same time, hmm. I mean, just, uh, I mean, it, we do demand, we do demand a lot of our, um, we demand a lot of our leaders. And then the, then the problem comes, I mean, which voice is going to be louder in the end? The one that says, okay, I understand you're trying to keep me safe, but this is still wrong. Or the one who's, you know, under the covers going, please do whatever you have to, to keep me safe. Well said. Yep, absolutely. So Bill, I said, mm. I'd like to hear from you. And then we didn't have you talk for a couple of minutes. So you're up, man. <laughs> <laughs> 
That's okay because I mean I, I spend a lot of time listening to Ken in the car and and you know I feel like I, I get to hear it first before anybody else here. So uh, I'll, I'll listen to Ken all day long if I'm not listening to you, Dan. That's great. Um, <laughs> you know I've I struggled with this this week. You know there have been a few times throughout the season where you know we've looked at what we thought the episode was was trying to teach us about ourselves. And there were times where it was easier than others. And looking back at the season as a whole, I've kind of come back to to my journey. You know, I've said, you know, a few times here on Discovering Trek that I've I felt like I've been learning about myself while watching Star Trek Discovery and my own challenges with even feeling human at times. You know, I've talked about my anxiety and my struggles with it. And at various times I've seen something of myself in, in several of the discovery crew, whether it's, it's Tilly or, or Tyler or, or even Burnham, I've found something in their respective journeys that have, have helped me understand myself a little more. And, and even at times I think made me a little uncomfortable. Um, they may be done teaching me things. I, I have no idea. I mean, we don't know what season two is going to bring. I may have more to learn from them, but I suppose that my own takeaway from all of this, what it's taught me specifically as a Star Trek fan, is that my own discovery of my humanity isn't isn't over. You know, I, I think about it, I'm almost half a century old at this point, but I feel like my human adventure is just getting started. This arc has, has also shown me that, well, humans are jerks. Um, we make horrible decisions and we find ways to justify those horrible decisions in the name of I don't know, insert, you know, cause here, whether it's party or country or crisis. And I've learned, you know, as, as together as we think we have things, there's going to be someone out there that's ready to hand us our hat. You know, in the context of, of Star Trek, the Klingons do it to Burnham at the start of the season and countless godlike beings do it to Kirk and the Borg do it to Picard. And, um, you know, in, in the real world, the problem is we do it to ourselves, you know, I, th- I think the thing that Discovery is, has taught me on top of my own journey is that we are the ones holding us back and we sabotage our own future at every turn. You know, uh, Star Trek's taught me that, that we've got even further to go than I, I thought was possible. Um, and I have no idea anymore how we go from fiction to nonfiction. That's basically what it comes down to for me. It's a good wrap up. I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, looking at at today, one of the things we like to do is compare today with what we see in Star Trek and very many, very similar things going on in Discovery's first season that we're seeing today. And it and it it made for some very interesting uh, reaction from fans and non-fans alike. Um, for me, the, you know, the wrap up discussion on Discovery, it's pretty easy for me to reflect on humanity, I think, from my standpoint. Uh, we got to see what, what humans are capable of throughout the season. You know, the crew had goals and they had their ups and they had their downs, but they held on all the time and they didn't succumb to going against their beliefs to win the war. And we saw that very much so in the last part of the, of the, of the season, you know, there were some that wanted, like Ken just mentioned a few minutes ago, they were ordered to, to wipe out the entire Klingon homeworld. And uh, that was a hard pill for a lot of the people watching both on the ship as crew and in the audience watching on CBS all access. It was a hard pill for them to swallow, but the crew stuck together, came up with that better way that, that many people knew would happen. And it didn't amount to a huge loss of life at the end of the war. Um, We saw the light after the darkness and we saw how great this crew worked together in the worst of circumstances. And specifically for our central character of Michael Burnham, 
you know, to me, she went through the proverbial ringer when dealing with her humanity this season. Uh, we saw her raised by non-humans. And when she first came aboard discovery, she did everything in her power to act non-human. Uh, but in fact, she became the most human of all. Uh, she dealt with, you know, feelings that she had never felt before from elation to love to guilt and even betrayal. Yet through it all, she stayed strong on her beliefs and she came out of her own personal abyss as a better human being. And as someone who has had to climb out of my own personal abyss, I have an even greater appreciation for what I saw Michael deal with over the course of the season. Guys, every week we like to talk about our favorite moments uh, of the of the show. So we're going to do favorite moments of the season. It's kind of self-explanatory. Uh, top two or three favorite yep. moments that you saw through these 15 Can episodes. I, I'm, I'm sorry. Before um, before we go on to anything else, I got I got to say that's that was an amazing thing to hear you say. Well, thank you. I wish I wish there had been I wish there had been something like that in Discovery for me. Honestly, and that's not default Discovery. I'm glad they found you. And I'm glad you found that. Um, that was that. That's that is a honestly a wonderful thing to hear you say about this show. Wow, um, I'm a, I'm a little bit speechless. Ken, thanks. Um, <laughs> well, sorry to interrupt you. Listened, no, no problem. No, that's worth the interruption. Believe me. Um, as people who have listened to Trek geeks and and my closest friends and family know, uh, Star Trek has literally saved my life, and and it's not something that I'm ashamed to talk about whenever the the situation presents itself. And and when I was watching Michael, uh, it, it's it really it really struck a nerve with me seeing how she was able to climb out. She talked about that with Tyler in episode 14, I believe. And that's when it really hit me that, you know, different circumstances, but still having to climb out of that on my own and, and she's doing the same thing. It really meant a lot with me. And I, I, I truly appreciate what you just said. That really means a lot. Thank you very much. No, oh, sure. Sure. So back to what I was saying before. And no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, yeah. We talk about favorite <laughs> moments every week. Um, Ken, Bill and I talked in the mid-season episode about what we liked about the first half uh, of the season uh, when we had John Champion on. Um, so I think Bill and I may keep it to the end of the season for what our favorite points were because we've already gone over the first half. But were there any specific things throughout the entire season that you really thought were just awesome and you wanted to list here as a favorite moment? Um, the episode with the Pobbins with mm -hmm. Saru. I honestly, if, if you go back and see who had the greatest arc in this whole season, I personally think it was Saru. Mm. And, yes. and I think that, I think the time with the Pavans was, was sort of his breaking point was, I mean, because at that point, not only did he betray everything that was Starfleet, which is like one of his biggest things. Right. But he also found out, I, I mean, first of all, he found out the same as I was talking about earlier, like, you know, sort of the darkness that he was capable of. But I got to figure he also found a bit of strength because once he has something that's worth really fighting for as far as he's concerned, he'll, he'll go house. He will absolutely go to town on you and, you know, to to make sure that he is able to hold on to that thing. Um, and that was honestly just a a. And it was it was powerhouse acting by Doug Jones as well, which is amazing because he's under like nine inches of latex. Mm -hmm. And still, I felt every single thing that he was doing. And it's, and that's got to be the voice work. That's got to be the, you know, his, his physicality. 
Um, that to me was, that was probably my favorite scene. When I try to think back on things I liked, it's two things that pop up. It's, it's, it's bits of humor that were absolutely hysterical. And it's that one scene with Saru. Um, as far as the humor stuff, almost anything with Tilly. Uh, F word not included, but like, like just even the last episode, you know, where she's dealing with the Terran Emperor and she's like, this is, you know, she's like, hey, your hair looks awful or something like that. <laughs> I know it's terrible. The whole thing. I mean, everything, honestly, every time that she was supposed to be cute, every time she was supposed to be funny, she nailed it. And, and right. that's, I think, partly Mary Weissman and partly the actors knowing that character. Um, and then before we knew that, before we knew for certain that Lorca was bad, it's still one of my favorite lines in the whole thing. I guess it was, um, I guess it was probably episode three when he first introduces Burnham to uh, to Stamets, and and Stamets is like arguing and really angry, and and Lorca turns to uh, Saru and says, "What's your assessment of Burnham?" And he says, "She's the finest Starfleet officer with whom ever uh, finest Starfleet officer I've ever known." And Lorca looks back at Stamets and goes, "And he knows you," <laughs> 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 which I thought was, I mean, it, it, so I mean, there were times when the, I mean. Maybe maybe the moments of levity shine so brightly because I mean not to keep hammering the point, but because it was so dark that when you got genuine laughs, they were genuine laughs. The other thing is too, I mean, in just that first season of Discovery, there were more genuine laughs than there were in seven seasons of Next Gen. Somebody knows how to write comedy on the Discovery, uh, or knows how to write levity anyway um, on the Discovery writing stuff, and that was that was great to see as well. Yeah, I, I love the comedy aspect of of what we saw in Discovery. For me, you know, everybody's going to say, "Oh yeah, you're going with the lucky, you're going with the easy pick, Dan." But I got to say, the end of episode 15 was was one of my favorite moments. I was just absolutely giddy. I was literally jumping around in the living room of my sister's house when we all realized that it was the Enterprise that was sending that distress signal, hmm. and then to just see it swoop in off the bow of the discovery. Oh my God. It was just so incredible. It's one of those literal hair standing up on my arm moments. Whenever I see, I've seen it like 10 times and every time it just does the same thing. Um, I thought that was just beautiful. Um, I think that the characters of Stamets and Culbert, their final scene together that we saw in season one, because you know, who knows what's going to happen in the future. Anthony Rapp and Wilson Cruz just have to be commended for what they have brought to the Star Trek universe, not only as the first gay couple in Trek history, but the way they brought this relationship to viewers. It was great. We don't see this type of relationship with with uh, man and women couples, but to see what these two brought together in in this series, I thought was very, very special. Uh, it was beautiful. And it was real. And that last scene in the mycelial network was, was a wonderful moment. I thought, uh, can you already hit on it? I, Tilly was a highlight for the whole season for me. Um, Mary Wiseman just stole every scene she was in. Um, mm. Hell, what the heck hell uh, was, is just one of those great moments that I could watch over and over again. <laughs> and also her determination. She stood up to people when she wanted to help Stamets when, when he was on the brink of death. And I thought that was a, a strong character moment for her. And I can't wait to see what happens with the newly promoted Ensign Tilly. Um, and the last thing that I had, I'll quickly run through again, just like you said, Ken was Saru, because for me, this character had the most growth of any of the characters for the entire season. For me, Saru is Odo or Data or Spock for Discovery. Uh, his shining moment for me 
a little different than yours, but when he gave the speech to the crew of the Discovery before attacking the Mirror Universe flagship uh, and heading home through the mycelial network was the moment, I thought. Um, it was that moment that the crew of the Discovery became the crew of the Discovery, uh, and it was all thanks to Captain Saru, I thought. So those were my highlights for the last half of the season. Bill? You know, it, I tried to restrain the things I love to just the back half of the season and I couldn't do it. So I failed already. But um, <laughs> I, I have to say, you both mentioned Tilly and while you were both talking, I thought that probably my favorite Tilly line of the season when she was when she was pretending to be Captain Killy and they're talking to Captain Maddox of the uh, of the flagship on the Terran Empire. and uh, No, sorry, to, uh, to Connor, to uh, and she's like, I'd cut out your tongue and use it to, to lick my boot. And I'm like, whoa, she's really burying herself in the part. Um, that was a fantastic moment. But um, I have to say, I loved everything about Calmets. And I use that as the portmanteau of Culber and Stamets. You know, Aaron Harbert said on on Twitter this week that we haven't seen the last of Hugh Culber. And I really hope that's the case. Because I hope that's the case for Paul Stamets. Because I want more of their story and their journey and and their love story. Because I, I think it's, like, like you said, Dan, I think it's beautiful. And then I have to say, I very much... Uh, appreciated the journey of Michael Burnham this season. Um, although I, I, I kind of disagree with you, Dan, on, on, on the aspect that, that, that Saru is the stand in for Spock and Odo on some level. Cause I think it's, it's Burnham um, because she's the one who's having to learn how to be human and deal with humanity. But that's just sort of my take on it. I think it's a journey that's, that's hit a little too close to home for me on a number of occasions. And I have to say that I've, I've learned a lot from Michael Burnham um, just myself. So, and then lastly, I think the best moment of the entire season, um, it probably comes from magic to make the sanest man go mad. And I can sum it up in five words. Um, and it's dance with me for science. I think it was a moment that had so much heart and beauty and humanity that it's, it's impossible for me to watch that scene without smiling because I think it was just so wonderfully done between the writing and, and, uh, the acting of, uh, of Sinequa Martin Green and Anthony Rapp. All great moments for my great season. Thanks, guys. Long range scan of planet complete. Well, every week on Discovering Trek, and now, of course, that season one is wrapped, it's time for our long range scan for season two. So, uh, Bill and I already gave our predictions last week, but I'm going to challenge him to come up with something new for what we'll see next season. Uh, and Ken, as our guest of honor, of course, we will start with you. Do you have anything specific that you think is going to happen uh, next next season, whether it's right at the beginning or throughout the season? Can Can it be a combination of things I think we're going to see and things I would like to see? Absolutely. Okay. Uh, I think we're going to see Prime Lorca. I think I don't think he's dead. I don't think there's any way he's dead, especially in episode 14, I think, when Admiral Cornwell said, I mean, lingered on the fact that then my Gabriel is gone. Okay, no, he's not. <laughs> so <laughs> calm down. He'll be back. Um, we're probably going to see Mirror Giorgio again because, I mean, there was too much of the don't make me chase you and that whole thing. I, I don't know if she'll be – I mean, I, I was having an email exchange with somebody recently there's a thing that we like that we do on Star Trek where if we like the bad guy, then we don't kill the bad guy. The bad guy sort of turns into a rapscallion instead, right? I mean, this is what happened to Harry Mudd. And yeah, I think this yeah. is what's going to happen with Jojo. I don't think she's going to be, uh, she's, I mean, obviously she can't take over the Federation. 
um, eh, there'll be something. I don't know what it'll be. Obviously, not every not every episode, but something's going to come up with her. I think. What I would love to see, and of course, he's parked right in front of Discovery now. I would love to see Pike, um, if we, especially if we can do it without seeing Spock, because I don't need another Spock to add to the two that we've already got. But I would I would love to see uh, Pike because really we only got one episode with him, and I know yes he was in the JJ Trek movies, but uh, th- that wasn't really fully fleshed out. That was he was really just a way to get Kirk up to captain at that point, um, and then take Kirk down a peg, and then you know get Kirk back up to captain and losing him. I'd really love to see um, uh, Pike as long as. Do you guys read the novels or have you read uh, Desperate Hours? Yes, I've read Desperate Hours. I think Dan's still working on it. Okay. I'm still working on it. Okay. I I think I can do this without doing any spoilers um, because I don't want to ruin it for you halfway through. But when Pike's head pops off, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't necessarily like the way that Pike was treated in the book, I guess would be the best way to to say it. I would like like to see – I would like to see the Jeffrey Hunter Pike again. And of course we can't see Jeffrey Hunter because, you know, he, he left this uh, mortal coil long ago, but I would like to see, I would like to see that. Cause he was a really, even though we only got him for one episode, he was an incredibly complex character. When we meet him in the, in the cage, he's tired. He's done. He's thinking of quitting Starfleet. And, and that's how in 1964, Gene Roddenberry thought, Oh, I know how we'll introduce space travel. We're sick of it. <laughs> it's so common we're tired of it and this guy who is everything that we want to be is like nuts to this i'm gonna go to open a bar or something so i'd really like to i would love to see pike but not just be you know the 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 thing that stands up some other character which is pretty much all he's done since the first episode um i would like to see him be like a real character of his own uh, and then the last two things I want to see, it, I would love to see a godlike alien because we used to see them all the time in this era. And um, um, I'd like to see a little bit of exploration maybe this time. Because like my, my favorite yes. my favorite episode, honestly, it's kind of funny. Um, the, the guys over at Priority One are like, you know, this, this season was great if you just took out um, – there are two episodes they always want to take out. I can't remember what one of them is, but the other one is the one with the Poppins. And I loved, I loved that episode because, because in going someplace that was completely different, our characters found out more about themselves than they did standing on the bridge of discovery. Yeah. Especially, especially Saru. And so if we could have more stories, you know, where they actually seek out new life and new civilizations, um, winner, <laughs> it's it's funny ken i like what you said about pike because there's another novel that i've read several times which is really good and i believe it's called legacy and it's a story about pike and something that he had to face when he was a younger captain and i totally see what you're saying about how pike is is uh reflected in the book and it's it's kind of that you know I'm better than you are. You're good. You got to do what I do type attitude. He's got kind of an attitude, he's a chip on his shoulder and he does in this other book as well. So it will be very interesting to see if they bring Pike on to season two and how that captain reacts to situations. So I'm in agreement with you there. Um, 
Also, there's been a lot of speculation online over the last week and a half as to who the next captain of the Discovery is going to be. And I personally would love it to be Saru, but I can say this is this isn't a long range scan of what we'll see, but of what we won't see. And I don't think there's any way we're going to see to Paul as captain of the Discovery, formerly of the NX-01. Um, in Vulcan years, she'd be close to 180 years old, I think. And I, and to be honest, I just don't see Jolene coming back to television to reprise her role. But I also wouldn't want to see a different character playing to Paul at this point. So um, additionally, as we talked about at the beginning of this podcast, I think we will get some more information as to what those black Delta badges mean. And I, that's one of those ones that I think will happen and that I hope will happen. So those are my scans. Bill, what have you, sir? Well, you know, I've been thinking about this. So you remember at the end of episode 15, will you take my hand? The discovery is on its way to Vulcan with Sarek to pick up the new captain of the ship. And of course they get interrupted by the distress call from the enterprises we find out. And I was thinking about this, like, you know, I think that we're not going to meet Discovery's new captain until at least the second half of season two. I mean, I'm almost hoping this becomes a bit of a running gag. It's like, whoa, hey, we got through that situation. All right, let's finally get over to Vulcan to meet our new captain. And then all of a sudden, you know, in comes Godlike Alien to meet one of uh, one of Ken's wishes. Um, I, I think that would be fantastic if we just never see the new captain in season two. <laughs> um, <laughs> although I, I, I think that they'll actually probably introduce that person at some, some point. I just don't think they're going to do it right away. You know what I think would be great, Bill? Kind of like when we start our Charlie's Angels podcast in a few years, the <laughs> captain of the Enterprise could be just a speaker who we only hear his voice and we never actually get to see. Uh, we're ra- uh, we're racking a podcast almost almost as fan as John and Ken are. Thankfully, we already <laughs> crossed Love Boat off the list, so that's done. <laughs> Absolutely correct. Well, Dan, as we promised on our last episode of Discovering Trek, back in, I guess, early February now, we are ready to give away an amazing prize from our friends at Fansets. Yeah, indeed we are, my friend. You know, folks, as you may recall, for the past couple of weeks, we've been gathering your tweets on your thoughts about season one of Star Trek Discovery. You know, first of all, we have to thank everyone for sending us your thoughts on the season. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to send messages to us and also give you a chance to win some some pretty cool fanset swag. Uh, we appreciate the interaction, but now it's time to give away a truly epic prize. You know, Dan, you're not kidding. This really is the biggest prize we've ever given away on Discovering Trek. And it's the entire set of episode pins from season one of Star Trek Discovery from Fansets. All 15 pins telling the story of all 15 episodes throughout the first season. Now, first, I have to say, we can't thank our friends at Fansets enough for this. This is such an amazing prize. And it, you know me, Dan, I love to give this stuff away. So here we are. This is a big moment. Earlier, before we started out the discussion, you asked Ken to pick a random number from all the entries we got, and lucky number 17 has won the entire episode pin collection. That person, Dan, is Robert Trey Womack, who's at Trey31968 on Twitter. Absolutely amazing. Could not be happier for Robert. Congrats, man. You have just scored all 15 episode pins. And what's so amazing, if I if I remember correctly, this this set is upwards of like $250 retail. 
And Robert, you just, you're going to be, you're going to be sporting those pins in your home or office really soon. Congratulations. It's such an amazing prize from Lou and John and the entire crew over at Fansets. And if anyone else is interested in this amazing set or maybe just specific pins from season one, please head on over to episodepins.com for all the details. Trey, we're going to get in touch with you so that we can get the pins shipped out to you as soon as possible. We will, of course, have new and exciting giveaways next season, too. So we hope everybody keeps listening for details. And, of course, our grateful thanks to everyone who participated and also to Fansets for having been our exclusive sponsor all season long. So, gentlemen, I have a question for both of you, and that is very simply, is Star Trek Discovery as we have seen it so far Star Trek? Now, we discussed this on our mid-season episode and figured it would be a very relevant topic for the season wrap-up. Anyone who has access to social media sees all the comments, positive and negative, about this new chapter of of Star Trek. And a lot of people argue that it's not Star Trek at all, while others counter that it's the most Star Trek series ever. So, Ken, what are your thoughts? Is it, isn't it, and why on uh, on that decision of yours? No pressure. Well, it, 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 I'll I'll take the easy way out. It is and it isn't. I mean, it is. It is because it's got Deltas and Vulcans and Klingons and CBS owns it and they called it Star Trek. And so it is. It exists in that universe, right? So, I mean, this is. I mean, there's. it is often said, and I think it's true, that um, Gene Roddenberry didn't want the cartoons to be considered Star Trek past a certain point. But they were. And they are. And that's, you know, we all have to live with that. Um, This is better than the cartoons in a lot of ways, although I think the cartoons are really solid as far as the stories. And if you've never watched Star Trek, the animated series, you should. Because uh, also, won't it be neat just to have a new Star Trek that you didn't know about? Um, I think the other part of the question, though, and the part where it's not is, you know, does it do what we want Star Trek to do? For a lot of people, it does. That's one of the reasons I said earlier, I was so happy to hear Dan say everything he'd said about about you know how this particular uh, series or this season affected him. Uh, for me, unfortunately, for the most part, the answer is no. It's not like it was devoid of value. I mean, there was a lot of really cool stuff in it. When I go back over my notes, episode to episode, there are some really great things that are said, some really great ideas that are presented. Um, but I mean, just the whole. It's Star Trek. You know it's going to end well. Heck, even Star Trek II ended well for almost everybody, right? And we lost one of our characters there, and yet that is still a movie of hope. But then you get you get through, I mean, you know, there are so many episodes here where it's just like, I, I don't know how they're going to get out of this. I don't know how they're going to get out of this and still be what they are. And and that's a that's not a thing that we're used to from Star Trek. And so, but I liked it. <laughs> but you know <laughs> it, it doesn't necessarily do what i personally want my star trek to do for me okay i uh it, it's funny that you say that you, you were writing things down that 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 you thought were examples of of it being star trek and i would do the same thing and i personally can't i i can't see that that it isn't it to me definitely is star trek um because i found myself writing those things down a lot more than 
not Star Trek moments. And there were, there was some Star Trek, not, there were some scenes that we saw and some, some storylines that were, that were not quote unquote true Star Trek to me. But, but for me, it, it, it just, it just was, I can't say anything really more than I haven't said all throughout the season and in, in relation to how I feel about it. Um, I think it's my second favorite series, to be honest. Everybody knows that Deep Space Nine is my favorite series. And I'll probably put Discovery right up there as second. Um, and, and, of course, I could be looking at this with, you know, with with rose-colored glasses right now because the series just ended. Mm. So we'll get to whether or not it holds up in a second. But for me, it it's so fresh and so different, but it is still so Star Trek. Bill? You know, for me, I, I think it... I think it's very much Star Trek. In the, you know, in the moments before the Shenzhou encountered the Klingons and the Vulcan hello, I keep going back to the fact where, you know, we have no idea what Starfleet was like at that point. So I'm kind of forced to conclude that they were the Starfleet we know on some level, given the events of Enterprise and then making assumptions that, you know, they've matured as an organization to some extent. I, I think there's some hope in this Star Trek. And I think it speaks on some level to how humanity has evolved even if it did show us humanity can make some pretty disgusting and unconscionable decisions in the midst of war. I don't know if I can call it the most Star Trek series ever, like some people, but to me, it's it's definitely a track I'll continue to happily go on. You know, Dan, like you, DS9 is my first love. I think I'd have to say TOS is 1A. And for me at this point, Discovery is 1B. And I, I think that's probably because I feel such a, a connection to it, at least on a on a personal level, you know, it, it speaks to my fandom. It speaks to my, my inner Trek geek to some extent. And I think that's, that's probably what the way I frame it that way. That's one of the things I love so much about Star Trek. And this could be true of other genres, but we don't follow as much as other people do, but Star Trek has such personal meaning to everyone, their own personal meaning. And I think that's, what's so great about, about having these different opinions about the show. So, Ken, to take a page from your awesome podcast, Mission Log, that you host with some other dude uh, and an awesome computer that has a crush on Bill, um, we would like to discuss with you whether or not this season will stand the test of time. Now, granted, the series just ended, like I mentioned a moment ago, but I think it's kind of a relevant question. So let's fast forward a few years. I know you don't like to do time travel stuff either, but... uh, do you think that this season will stand that test of time? Probably. I mean, it's incredibly well made. It's incredibly well written. Whether you think it does what you want your Star Trek to do, I mean, it's 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 well acted. They did not they did not skimp for a second on any of the production. I mean, it's going to be good TV for quite a while. Um, I'd be curious. I mean, there's and there's no way to know, unfortunately, until we get to the end by which I mean of our lives or of time, is this going to be a series that people are going to go back and watch again? Like, I love Battlestar Galactica. I loved Battlestar Galactica, the reboot. Mm. I haven't gone back and watched it since the season finale. I remember liking it a lot, but I don't go back to it. So did Battlestar Galactica stand the test Mm. of time? I don't know the answer to that. Maybe it's just me that doesn't and other people do. There are shows... I've gone back and rewatched Buffy twice. I've gone back and rewatched Angel once. I've watched the sitcom community five times. <laughs> All the way through. I'm not <laughs> lying. There's something about each of those shows that really speaks to me that I will, even knowing that there's a whole world of other television out there, I'll go back and rewatch those every 
couple of years, each one of those. Well, community, I was actually just, I would, at one point in community, I would get, I would finish the last episode and then start the first episode again. It was like on a constant loop. Um, I don't know whether discovery is going to be that for people and we won't know that for a few years, but I mean, I mean, if you're going to fault it for anything, it's going to be because it didn't tell the kind of story that you want it to tell. But you guys, it definitely told that story. A number of people listening to this podcast definitely told that story. Millions of people apparently who have signed up for CBS All Access had definitely told that story. So, I mean, nobody's going to look back on it and go, wow, what an embarrassment that was. It's, I mean, whether it's going to join the Pantheon, you know, without just seeming like it was tacked on, whether it's going to be one of those things like where people are going to go, oh, yes, you remember the classic scene from Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad, you know, in the same way they talk about Plato's stepchildren or, or um, um, family or tapestry. Whether, I mean, whether or, or, uh, I can't name anything from the other series. I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, the one, the one with Cisco and that other person and uh, the one with Janeway and uh, the board. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, whether, whether these episodes are going to be that same kind of thing, we won't know for a few years. But I mean, nobody's going to look back and go, how did that get made? Unlike, you know, the animated series, which is almost the first thing out of somebody's mouth. So, yeah, I mean, at least it's got it's got a shot. I mean, it's really gonna it's gonna depend how the next few years go in the world. It's gonna depend how the next few years go mm-hmm. in other science fiction. It will be there is no part of discovery that people are gonna look back on and go, "Wow, how did they do that?" or "Why did they do that?" Unless it gets to be a bigger thing of like, "Why was it so dark?" Which I will I will still be asking that question five years from now. <laughs> This is a perfect example of why I like having guests on the show who are so much smarter than Bill and I, because we really get good opinions. So, Bill, you're not going to top that, but you can try. <laughs> I, I wouldn't even try, <laughs> although I will say the way that, that Ken watches, uh, was it, uh, did you say it was Community? Yeah. I, I watch Arrested Development the same way, but only the first three seasons, because I like to pretend the fourth season never happened. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think that... I think Discovery does hold up, but I think that's because ever since it started, I've been kind of thinking of it, uh, the entire first season, as like a novel for television in a way. It took me a bit to get comfortable with the storytelling, um, although I liked the idea of a season-long arc. As soon as I started telling myself that each episode was essentially a chapter in a in a book, I, I think that this series made a lot more sense to me and, and at least the storytelling did for me personally. I, I do think it'll hold up over time. And like Ken said, it's, it's produced amazingly well. They're certainly not skimping on the budget like they did for, Oh, I don't know, every other Star Trek series that's ever been made. Um, and I think that visually, you know, aesthetically it, it'll more than hold up over time. And I, I think that eventually if we look back 10, 15, 20 years on the story, I, I, I think it will, I hope it will. Um, but I think it will, if that makes sense, Dan. Makes perfect sense. And and I have to agree that I just, I can't see how it, it can't or won't hold up uh, this first season. One of the things that I always find myself um, thinking about when I'm watching some of the new movies that come out today, and whether or not this movie, I'm going to use Kong Skull Island as an example, or Godzilla, the latest one as an example. When I'm watching movies like that, if I can't tell that there are special effects like Kong or Godzilla, I mean, if they look like they're really immersed in our real world, 
that means something to me, whether or not the movie is horrible or not. And I think that's a very important aspect of Star Trek Discovery season one. Add to that excellent production and excellent special effects. Add to that the excellent acting and the great storytelling that happened in this first season. I definitely think it's something that's going to hold up, if not just for that reason. I've said to Bill several times over the course of of this season of Discovering Trek that I love the time that we're living in because we're given this technology that can produce shows like this and really just make us go, wow, from that opening scene of Takuma's eyeball to the final scene with the Enterprise swooping in in front of the Discovery's uh, bow was just incredible to me. And so for that reason, I'm going to say, hell yeah, it's going to hang, it's going to hold up. Well, Bill, uh, I think I'm going to quote Arnold right now and say that I need a vacation. Uh, but that does not mean that we are done with discovering Trek at all. Does it? No, it sure doesn't, Dan. And people wondering why you're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger <laughs> should probably listen to the outtake on the last episode of Trek Geeks. It'll make a lot more sense. Right. But Dan, we'll be back in three weeks' time. And when we next reconvene on Discovering Trek, we're going to take a look at the new Star Trek Discovery tie-in novel, Drastic Measures, by New York Times bestselling author Dayton Ward. In the meantime, don't forget we've made it even easier for you to subscribe to both Discovering Trek and Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. Head on over to podfleet.com and find out how you can get both both of our podcasts directly on your iPod, iPhone, Android, or other device. And plus, now you can even stream our podcasts using iHeartRadio, Stitcher, or even Spotify, the planet's largest streaming service. They're your independent Star Trek podcasts delivered your way. So join our pod fleet and make it so. Dan. All right. Well, uh, Ken, what can I say, man? This has been truly amazing. Cannot thank you enough for coming on here to discovering trek to share your thoughts on the season and you liked it um <laughs> that someone as famous and loved as you already has an amazing following but for those who may not know where can they find you online like on social media and on the internets um the daily show that i mentioned earlier is called mac os can that's available just about any place podcasts are of course i'm on mission log a roddenberry star trek podcast with oh you can call him ray you can call him jay <laughs> but his real name is john champion and you can find that at missionlogpodcast.com and it's also available every place and then um for me directly just at mac os can m-a-c-o-s-k-e-n on twitter and I will, I will bug you about a bunch of stuff there. Awesome. Again, thanks a lot for, for coming on, my friend. It was, it was great to talk season one with you. It was, uh, I, I, I truly appreciate being invited. It was, a, it was a tremendous amount of fun. It's always great to have you on, man. We love, we love it. And we can't wait to see you at STLV, hopefully also, too. So we'll keep that in mind. For now, that just about does it for season one of Star Trek Discovery. We want to thank you for taking time each week to listen to our thoughts on the newest chapter of Star Trek, and we look forward to talking to you again very soon. But until then, here are some words of wisdom from Dr. Julian Bashir. Causing people to suffer because you hate them is terrible. But causing people to suffer because you've forgotten how to care? That's really hard to understand. And until next time, never stop discovering. 
Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com.